Gender and sexuality are so fluid. It's okay to change your mind a million times and figure out what works for you. It's okay to take your time. Amandla Stenberg Bending Not Breaking Pride and Avatar everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking in Pride. I am your host, Ben Pruitt, and I have just been blessed this whole past two weeks to dive into all of these Pride episodes and learn so much and engage and grow. And I'm just really thankful and thankful for all of you who are continuing to listen to these episodes. We've had amazing guests and we are not holding back today. Uh, one of my favorite people is joining us as a guest today and I'm really excited to learn and grow from them also. Uh, I want to be clear and say that this will be our final Pride episode for this year. Uh, we will of course always be considering pride and the LGBTQ plus community in our content and in our episodes as usual. Uh, but pride will not be our necessarily our lens moving forward in our typical episodes. That said, we hope that you will continue to, to listen in as we return back to The Legend of Korra, book three. We have a lot of really great conversations planned for you to join us there also. And I just hope that we can continue to provide content that is nourishing and nurturing to those who listen. And so thank you all for being listeners. Thank you to our patrons. And thank you all to those of you who are wondering how to support us and then go and join our Patreon at BNB underscore pod. That is a huge, huge help to us. And we hope that you will consider doing so uh, at your at your leisure, preferably today. But, you know, leisure is good. Um, I will say that if you can't support us that way, that is no problem at all. We always love a good review. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and remember, both is good. Both is good. You can find us at BNB underscore pod on all things. Uh, but without further ado, let's just jump right in. Let's jump on into this episode on Pride and Avatar. another guest today and I am thrilled to welcome back to the podcast Indira Eudofia. That's right. She's back. How are you doing? I am good. I am good. Thank you for inviting me back to talk gay stuff. I'm excited. I'm all about it. Let's let's get queer today. Um, so I, I want to let's for the people who don't know you start from ground zero. What's what's your whole deal give us your pronouns that you give us the whole deal all right dear eudophia she they pronouns i am a 
rising third year PhD student, soon to be PhD candidate in um, a joint program in social work uh, at North Carolina A&T and UNCG, studying religious trauma and uh, African-American millennials and Gen Zers. Um, I am a therapist and a consultant, a cat mom to a, 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 a mixy cat named Bisa. Um, and all around just lover of all things nerdy and wonderful and great. Yeah, <laughs> we're queer, we're here, and we're loving it. <laughs> yes. Oh, and also part-time mixologist. Um, yeah. Having a really fun time experimenting this summer with cocktails. Yeah, let's just start there because that's that's so important. Like, what is the drink of the summer right now? Ooh, so I started a window garden, and so I am growing mint, sage, and um, basil right now. So I have been doing a blackberry moonshine smash with sage in it, and it's been a time. I've been enjoying it. Um, So anything with berries um, for the summer are kind of my jam, and watermelon. I'm a but I recently discovered rhubarb and got a couple of strawberry rhubarb cocktails that have been fantastic too. So yeah. I'm kind of just fruit and herbs this uh, summer. Here, here. I made a, as soon as strawberry season hit and I saw rhubarb available, I was like, I got to make a strawberry rhubarb pie. Um, it was the time. And so I would have loved one of those drinks right alongside it. Yeah, I may give you the the recipe later, but I literally someone I went with I went to Nashville with my mother uh, to celebrate the end of the semester, and we went to go um, bourbon tasting because that's my favorite thing. Now so we're we, went to, we went to Tennessee and we stopped in Seaverville, went to Lynchburg, went to um, gosh, I will never f- remember exactly where Uncle Nearest is actual distillery is but the uncle nearest distillery and then we did a couple of local ones in nashville and just did bourbon tours so now i am like the person at the party who could talk to you about the stages and yeah oak barrels and how to taste and like that's awesome i'm obsessed (laughs) i we used to do bourbon flights at the restaurant i used to work at and so i'm all about it too bourbon's i made my own flight board i i came home and made (laughs) my own flight board so i can have stuff so when you come over and we'll go outside we'll do some bourbon tasting one day we'll do some fun stuff like that all right making the trip uh we could put that on the calendar (laughs) so we'll have a a big old time for that all right but for today let's re let's recenter i'm gonna be the be that guy and recenter Uh, on avatar and our our queen the Korra so we're not going to exclude um but that's and you know there's Kyoshi there's the novels there's the comics there's all these things and I just want to kind of invite our listeners to hear your history with Avatar what is what is it uh in your life what place does it hold for you so I I encountered and I don't know if I said this in the other times but like I encountered um avatar healing from a very bad relationship actually um and so I happened to like move to Greensboro after kind of rebuilding my life from you know all the the drama that is you know dating and I actually started watching it because I felt like I needed something pure like something Mm. that I like didn't um 
that I didn't have to really think too much about. I didn't have to like over-involved and I kind of got suckered into like just watching one episode just to see because I had heard my brothers talk about it and it was a way for me to connect with my brothers in a way that I can't do as the older sibling because I'm always the responsible one and then I became obsessed um, <laughs> finished all of the first avatar in a week finished the second one in about a week you know just and I can see so avatar to me represents this like really pure place where it reminds me how to get back to me it almost I mean it's like a lot of the cartoons that we watch in our adulthood life like it's very much on the same tier of like Steven Universe and you know um Shira and like all these places where it's yeah. like it just reminds you of the joy of possibility that mm-hmm. we get robbed of when we are older and adulting um and so avatar gives me permission to slow myself down and just think about what the purity of just unadulterated possibility can look like um and so that is how i come to avatar um i i'm still way behind i'm not like a super fan like you obviously i'm still (laughs) behind on the books we had a private conversation i'm going to i'm going to start catching up um but I am the show itself represents a place when I feel like I need to come back to that pure inner self that Mm. dreams that actually is optimistic and hopeful um when the temptation to of nihilism feels really great yeah and and I think it's worth being explicit and naming how the avatar verse is that source of purity source of healing source of comfort for a lot of people it's so much more than a tv show that people come back to it is a it's a source of something that nurtures in a way that a lot of times people are unable to capture and really name why that is and so it's really special and i i just appreciate you naming some other shows that also kind of offer yeah. for us Yeah, and I think part of it is centered around the fact that, like, so much of what we have been facing as a society um, in recent months, we can be inundated with so much, and within 20 minutes of a cartoon, right, things are not necessarily tied up in a neat bow, but you still feel hopeful enough to fight. So when I am, when I am ready to tap into that warrior, that part that gets fatigued from having to advocate at all of my intersections, Cora is a good place to talk about what does unrepentant self-resolve look like in the face of adversity, right? So I can watch Cora and get that like, I don't care how much you think you're going to destroy me. Like, there is something that I can do to fight, right? There is some way I can make make it out of it. And I still bear the wounds, right? I still yeah. hold these bars, but it doesn't take away my power or my possibility, right? Of doing something great and being something great. You know, yeah. when I want to like tap into just naivete and like just believing in the power of people, that's when I can turn to Aang, right? Like think there's- yes. You know, and when I just want to be a stone cold killer and a boss, Kiyoshi is right there. And I can just listen to that little snippet of Kiyoshi and be like, you know what? Yeah, sometimes you have to make the hard choices. I think there's 
characters and people that tap into these different modes of how we need to see ourselves. Um, And we'll talk a little bit when we think about our avatar moment later um, about just, you know, journeying through the different ways that we define ourselves and we evolve ourselves and we evolve that this show holds in a very digestible way. And it's doing a lot of radical work. And so, yeah. And I, and I think that, again, really naming that for, for me is being willing to say that that is a, that is a spiritual practice. That is mm-hmm. something that is connecting me to the larger world, right? When I can zoom in on Cora, and I, re- I wrote a blog post about this recently. Mm-hmm. So we are recording after the Roe versus Wade decision that has been uh, taking over the news and uh, Twitter by storm. Um, and I was really struggling when that came out and I was, I couldn't concentrate at work. I I was like, I, what do I do? And I turned to Cora Mm -hmm. and I watched an episode of Cora and I, I processed as I, I wrote and processed as I watched and I was watching it with the lens of Roe versus Wade. And at the end of it, I was like, I feel better because Cora has shown me ways to grapple with this. It has shown me what works. It has shown mm-hmm. me, what do you do when you have an earth queen that's oppressive and tyrannical and doing mm-hmm. things? It's like, okay, this is, this is giving me hope. And I think naming that as a spiritual practice is something that a lot of people are like, ah, this isn't what? But that's, that's what that is. That is mm-hmm. a spiritual practice if that's something that you're turning to Avatar 4. Yeah. I mean, all spirituality, religion, things, right, are opportunities to point, to point at a reflective space, right, to make meaning, to construct reality, and to find guidance. And so if, you know, looking to the Legend of Korra or Avatar The Last Day of Leander, makes meanings or makes sense right I don't think it's any less spiritual than looking at some other sacred text right there's a lot of sacred text um there's a lot of different canons that we have in our life that point us back to what is divine and pure um and good and I think that there's something to be said about how these shows how how this writing how this genre of storytelling does a lot of the heavy lifting and translates us sometimes often the messages that we purport these historical sacred texts do way better than than how we (laughs) preach and teach it on a Sunday morning or a Friday afternoon, you know? So I think there's something to be said about it. Yeah. Okay. So we've heard your kind of relationship with Avatar. And now I want to kind of point us towards the other half of our conversation today, which is pride. So what, what is your relationship with pride and whatever that means to you? Yes. So as a proud black, queer, gender expansive, sometimes aggressive femme, (laughs) (laughs) I know pride. Um, I think I went to my first pride when I was, I think I was in college, um, but before that, I went to art schools for most of my K through 12 career. So queerness was something that was always kind of in the waters that I swam in. Um, You know, coming out wasn't necessarily an event. It was just kind of like a, that tracks, you know? (laughs) um, You know, I was where I was, I think I was really playing with my gender 
even when I, if I can point back to times like in my elementary school career, there were times where I can clearly say like, oh, you were playing with gender a little bit. You weren't, you're not fully, you were never fully just like a girl. And that's yeah. cool. Um, you know, my dad used to joke and say that I was um, the first son um, a lot. And I used to kind of like, ha, 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 but like now in hindsight, I was like, it's kind of true. I definitely was a lot more masculine as a child. Um, you know, very rough and tumble, wanted to play football, used to wrestle with my boy cousins, uh, was wearing like a lot of jerseys. There's a really good picture of me in 10th grade wearing like the Jinko wide jeans and like a FUBU sweater, like very like black yeah. urban. Um, I, I never fully felt comfortable with the scripting of womanhood and I didn't know why. And I think part of it was because of how womanhood was taught in my like yeah. religious settings um, and the kind of the expectations just never fit my reality. Um, and so anytime pride season comes around and I'm always kind of reminded of pride, not just being this idea of just being proud of who I am and not just about the parades and the rainbow capitalism. Although my mom did give me a, a rainbow <laughs> doormat for, for pride, I do get pride <laughs> it's like pride Santa, you know, um, but it's also about homecoming, right? It's about the evaluate, taking a time to evaluate what does it mean to come home to yourself mm. and to be proud of the home that you built. Um, mm -hmm. And so every pride is kind of a way for me to kind of analyze and do like this gut check around, am I living authentically to who I am? How am I integrating these values of authenticities and the communities I create and the ways that I teach and the ways that I, you know, write and the ways I create. Um, and how do I create home and sanctuary, not only for myself, but the people around me? Oh, I just like, I, <laughs> there, there's so much there that I was like, oh, that'd be a full hour conversation if we just talked about that and then that and then that and then that. So <laughs> yeah. like, that's such, such, such a rich response to the vision of what pride kind of has been for you, uh, how it manifests, and then this vision of what also it brings for you on a regular basis in terms of like a yearly look back and something to appreciate. So, oh, there's so much there. That's just so wonderful. I, I Your story kind of reminds me of my childhood. And I was like, as you were talking about your child, I was like, man, you're speaking my language. Because I was the kid who had, I had four older brothers. Mm -hmm. And I was forced into a very masculine frame, mm -hmm. but I was also that kid who was like, I want to wear the tutu. And then, oh, I want to wear my, I'm going to paint my nails and then I'm going to do this. And then I got boxed into this, like, that's, you're like all the slurs, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I have to like, how do I mitigate all of these things? And I used to have a, a, a recurring phrase in my head of I would have been such a good girl like I would have I would have rocked being a girl um and I'm I, I've been slowly grappling with that for my entire life and really just kind of again as you say going through this homecoming of mm -hmm. okay what is now that I don't have to deal with these uh filters of uh masculine toxic masculine filters of what is okay, how do I start to mitigate who I really am and really have that conversation? There's a whole lot of unlearning that has to happen there. Wow. Um, and I've been doing that for a hot minute, so. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I always tell people like, 
it's okay if the ants if 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 home feels strange right like yeah. it's okay I think when we talk about coming home or having a homecoming it's supposed to be this like immediate aha moment but home is weird like you know home can get real strange and weird and it doesn't always mean that like the label I have for myself today is the label I have to keep um which is very difficult for an earth sign queen like myself um as someone who loves consistency you know us Virgos I'm a Virgo too I know yeah (laughs) you know the vibes it's like what once a category are is a category and it's like not really um I'm trying to embrace the more water sign placements in my charts that allows me to be fluid right um and so I think you know being able to 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 figure out and mitigate what that looks like or feels like in real time is such a gift it's such a gift to be able to name like hey like yeah I kind of want to paint my nails and also now straight people are straight cishet white men are painting their nails all the time machine god Hilly does it all the time it's like now a trend right so it just shows you just how fragile these categories have been and will continue to be um which means that I can just kind of dance in the middle and figure out whatever I feel like for the day yep subvert the norm that's mm-hmm. like like a destabilizing the norm is really all about what queerness is right and mm-hmm. um in, in that respect I like in like queer all my life always been <laughs> always will be like get rid of that norm all day long um but so it goes yeah so that's pride <laughs> Well, I can't wait to combine these two conversations now and invite you into this question of now that we've kind of laid the groundwork, mm-hmm. what are or what is the the moment, the ship, the scene that you kind of have brought for us today to discuss when you ask the question around Avatar and Pride and put those two together? What comes up for you? So there's two things that come up for me in particular and they kind of go together and they kind of don't so we'll see how it goes but the one thing I want to talk about is just kind of like the politics of representation um because I think when we talk about avatar and pride we would be remiss not to discuss how politics shape the imagination of what of what we see and who we see as part of our communities, right? Um, and okay. I say that as someone who is going to point out a possible a possible connection of someone who is canonically considered a straight presenting person, but okay. may, may not be straight at all, right? Which is my homie Sokka. So hey. I I have been thinking a lot about it from the expect from the from my own understanding of my own gender journey and how I came to land at a reclamation of femininity without being a woman, Um, (laughs) which is is loaded, right? Um, I think when we look at Sokka and we look at his journey um, navigating the expectations of masculinity and all that is kind of coded and represented in what does it mean to be the big brother, right? To someone, to a woman of power. I think we have to think 
about or at least contend with the fact that in his unlearning of what is neat, what what is possible for how he could show up as a brother, as a partner, as a friend, as just a, a human being, that that undoing creates not only turmoil, but also creates signaling towards possibilities that maybe when it was all said and done, maleness wasn't what he fully identified with at the end of the day. Now we can't fully say it for sure, obviously it's not canon, but my heart canon says, that Sokka's gender expansive. You know, I I had not considered this. And I love that you're kind of bringing this to our attention because, you know, there's a lot of questions from the fandom around like, well, why didn't Sokka have kids? Mm-hmm. And this, this could be a potential kind of uh, indicator for that. And, you know, there's a lot of straight people who don't have kids, but like, you know, this being something where like, maybe he was allowing himself to kind of experience other forms of romantic relationships or aromantic, right? Like, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities here. So that's fascinating. Yeah. So here's here's the reason why I'm 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 pushing the I'm shaking the table a little bit about this is because the way in which we are introduced to Sokka, especially Sokka's um, pursuit of romantic relationships. Yeah feels like compulsory heterosexuality. It really does. In a nutshell. Absolutely. It's a very performative display of romantic connections that is not indicative of how other romantic relationships naturally formed, not only through the canon of the the kind of the Avatar universe, but even post-Avatar into Legend of Korra. No other character navigates or expresses this certain level of romantic attraction in the same way that Sokka seems to perform yeah and a lot of people will be like oh he's just being a toxic like you know tongue wagging dude you know but how much of that is a rehearsed expectation of how you're supposed to pursue relationships versus what you actually desire or versus you know maybe some type of other way of baby like do I actually want to be with them or do I just yeah. think they're really cool and admire them for who they are well and I and I think a lot of times I, I can think of three books off the top of my head where the main character or one of the main characters like realizes uh bec- through like oh I I was perfectly fine being straight you know it was mm-hmm. I I was satisfied and I didn't know until I was pushed or put in a position to question and because that's just what's expected and I fell in line and you know like there's a I'm a big fan of Serena Bowen as an author um for for romance my all of my romance novels that I'm on audible like not promoting audible at all but you know audible um Serena Bowen has so many books out and lots of romance novels and one of her queer romance novels is called Top Secret and I just love the characters they're so lovely and, you know, it's the classic, like, broken, uh, trying to, you know, really hard and broken and then kind of softens up versus mm-hmm. the one who has been straight his entire life and mm-hmm. realizes that he is like, wait a second, I, I thought I was straight, then mm-hmm. I thought I was bi, now I realize I'm just gay. Like, mm-hmm. And it's this transition, and it's so beautiful how these 
characters are showing us what it looks like to be comfortable with change mm-hmm. and to it like that doesn't mean that every guy is going to like oh uh, every guy is secretly gay is not what we're saying Mm-mm. but rather that if you allow yourself to remove the shackles of mm-hmm. what you have been told all your life all of a sudden it's like whoa what do yeah. I really want what do I really want to experience and I think a lot of people would feel certainly a more expansive uh, mm-hmm. form of attraction than I don't know that everybody would, you know, full tilt mm-hmm. switch, but I think that, the, I think the attraction would certainly be more expansive. Yeah. And even just orientation be expansive, right? Yeah. Like just thinking about it from a gender perspective. I think if I, if I knew that I had permission to not claim womanhood, fully you know if I could just honor the femininity that was inside of me and realize that that was separate from the construction of womanhood that was presented back to Mm -hmm. me yeah I would be completely different right (laughs) like I would (laughs) yeah my journey my path how I saw relation half the people that I gave chances to would not have a chance you know like I would be I would, I would have done things a lot different. Like, you know, I give a lot of compassion for, for young Indira. She did what she knew to do. She tried very hard to be, you know, the model woman from this type of construction of womanhood that was presented to her. And, you know, adult Indira, they get to say, "Eh, maybe twice a week, maybe three times if I'm lucky. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I feel yeah. that fantasy and other times it's not like, I don't think I, I move through the world in a way that beholdens me to these conscriptions because honestly, my race is, is a queer experience. Me being black is inherently queer. Me being queer, right? Yeah. Me being, you know, from the South and spiritually fluid makes me queer. Like I, there's so many things in yeah. my life that I have had to undo and give back to people so that myself is destabilized, right? In the most beautiful way possible. And I see Sokka's journey through Avatar, going through that same process of giving back these expectations, giving back these scripts, giving back these assumptions about his character and who he is and how he shows up in the world. Um, And once, once he let go and gave it back to other people, there wasn't much left for him to carry and figure out. And so it just seems like it was endless, right? The way that that story could continue right and like the fact that that even when you think about the story when you think about it and you reflect back and listen to like legend of Korra the fact that his story doesn't really continue in this way like it's just kind of like well we know Sokka was a thing but like we don't know what happened we don't know where where he landed we don't know what he decided to do and part of that could have been because once you have once you know that you don't have to be or have to do certain things it's very difficult to like to not not expand that possibility into how you present yourself how you move through the world how you navigate and choose family and belonging Mm -hmm. and possibility wow 
yeah no i'm just like want to go rewatch all of the whole everything with that in mind and see just watch him interact and being like okay what is what does it mean for this this scene to be this forced on you uh, masculinity that you don't align with and you don't even know you don't align with it um, yeah, I just think about, um, and I can't ever remember uh, the the warrior's name that he partners with. Suki. Uh, Suki. Like I think about his courtship with Suki, and like the pursuit of that relationship, and like the level of discomfort around trying to navigate his masculinity with this like badass warrior. Yeah. Um, and. I think a lot about like, you know, when your masculinity or when your gender gets confronted in such a visceral way and you have to decide whether or not you're going to still choose to trouble the waters or you're going to retreat, like it can be a lot of bumbling, but then by the end of that relationship, right? Like when you see that relationship kind of like met out, there's a certain level of tenderness and softness and, um, and like fluidity to which it's like, you, you're like, were you actually romantically into or you just wanted to be friends? Because there was a lot of people that I dated when I was cosplaying as a straight person that I just <laughs> wanted to be their friends. <laughs> the romance piece actually didn't, co- you know, didn't translate the way that I thought it was going to, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it also took me, but I felt the pressure to live up to that level of engagement because I thought that that's the only way that I could engage right or that's the only way I could codify these feelings or these emotions as oh because you feel this like strong allegiance or this strong care for this person it's automatically romantic and it's like or do I actually like (laughs) yeah actually like I want to low-key be them like do I just like want to be their twin yeah. do I want to be their friend so many um, friend crushes in my life that I'm just like I just want I just want to I want us to be on us <laughs> yeah and I was like that us doesn't automatically codes to romance right it just yeah. you know I I've had my share of platonic soulmates in my life and um like I am deeply and wildly in love with all my friends I say that all the time and folks get really weird about it and I'm like <laughs> I don't think you understand. I will, I will harm because I deeply love my friends in this way that is, that is deep and abiding. And I will never want to sleep with any of them. Right. Like I just, it's not, there's no erotic attraction, but there is a lot of just like tenderness and I can see myself being reflected back to me in the beautiful ways that we call each other into being that is not romantic. And if I wasn't careful, right if I didn't do that work of unlearning like this compulsory yes yes I or you know just like um, as someone who practices relationship anarchy I would totally (laughs) screw the pooch a lot of the times with these people that I would care about because if if I don't if I'm not expansive if I don't codify it right if I don't have a queer orientation it's very easy to confuse and then be possessive or confuse and then, you know, yeah. attraction and then things fall apart. Right. And so yeah, I learned, I just, I, I saw so much of that in the way, like, you know, as I like was like, you know, reviewing some stuff before our conversation, I was like, 
soccer reminds me a lot of me. Like a lot of high school Indira was in soccer. Um, And I turned out pretty dope in grade. I feel like soccer (laughs) did too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm just really appreciating this new framework. It's it's fascinating. And it's something that I like I I don't know that I would have gotten there on my own. I don't know that I would have found that and would have I would have seen that because I was still stuck in Sokka is man. And I but like you know it I, I think where I definitely am tracking is like we talked about on the podcast before how Sokka has been unlearning a lot of his uh you know toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. a lot of the patriarchal ex- expectations of the man for the village. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of unlearning is very, very parallel to the type of unlearning that we're talking about. And mm-hmm. um, in fact, they're integral to one another. So I, I just am kind of expanding my view on that and really yeah. just- And I think part of it, right, goes back to the second part of this, which is the politics of representation, right? If we did not have a certain amount of expectations around what we believe that people are ready for, a la don't say gay, banning kids at drag shows, right? If we're not able to signal or point to possibility, it's very easy to get like locked into a certain type of articulation of what evolution and learning and even decolonizing actually does in real time. But there is something to be said about the fact that like, if, 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 if the creators were actually able to tease out and build this fully enfleshed world on the screen, would we still have these kind of rigid understandings of who these people are? knowing how you know the canon outside of the shows have manifest or evolved right like I think a lot of it is we sometimes when it comes to representation so much of marginalized communities spend a lot of times engaging in apologetics and asking for permission to exist yes rather than being being bold and revolutionary enough to just exist and be and 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 allow other people to enter into that mode of bravery with them yeah you know that kind of reminds me of is you know i depending on where this goes and who this reaches and if we post about it in the in the right format you know there's there'd be a lot of people who'd be like no Sokka's totally straight and it's i won't hear anything else about it because that's that's the end and that's it and i think my question is what what do you lose Mm -hmm. if Sokka is not straight like what do you lose? I can tell you are um, someone who went to UNC School of Social Work because that is my favorite therapy question. What does it cost you to imagine something alternate to your reality? Yeah, that is that is the thing. And at the end of the day, it doesn't it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the integrity of the person. It yeah. just allows it it just it scares you because then you realize just how fragile these constructs are exactly by by caring about or rooting for or finding yourself in a queer character versus a sit head character it's like well if I find myself in this queer person 
does that make me less straight? Not really. (laughs) Even if it is, is that the end of the world, right? Is it so bad to imagine yourself as this non-normative? And because we know that the constructs are made up in made up anyway. Yeah. It's a failed yeah. project. We've well, we have learned. We know. <laughs> right. We as queer people have acknowledged that gender is a failed project. It's been gender is in its flop era, sexuality is in its flopped era, yeah. earth is in its flop area. We we realize that we are not in a space where the things that we have purported as taken for granted, right and wrong, are actually right and wrong. I mean, even down when we think about talking about just the political time that we're in with, you know, the the queer antagonistic, trans antagonistic legislation, when we talk about things, it's all connected, right? Yeah. The decision comes out and immediately in in the in the argument, they're saying, oh, by the way, we're coming for Oberfeld too. Like it, we're, we're, the idea of privacy is slowly eroding. So it doesn't matter if you identify as straight or queer, or if you're a cisgender first person or transgender or non-agender or whatever the case may be, wherever you land on the spectrum, whether you're a part of the alphabet mafia or not, you are deeply implicated by these constructs. Yep. Why invest in constructs that are that at any given moment could be the thing that causes you something that is death dealing and life depleting? Here, here. You hmm. know, and so when people are like, oh, Sokka is straight, cool, Sokka could be straight, but also what does that then teach you, teach you about straight performativity? right? Well, and it's like, again, you only gain by considering other options. There's only gaining, right? And it's, you're, you're expanding the possibilities of what could be. And it, it you know, it reminds me of Schrodinger's cat, mm-hmm. right? It's, it is both, it is true until it is, until we open the box, right? right. It, and both can be true. And how queer is that? <laughs> like, how queer is it that it, we are we are both straight and not straight until we have something until we can open that box? And guess what, y'all? The only way to open the box is to open it. Is to open it. You have to actually take the the steps to gain this awareness and learn and grow. Otherwise, the box is closed and it's both all at once. So you're queer regardless of your choice. <laughs> like, and I think that that's. That's one of the things is like, you know, category, when we think about how we learn and what the functions of categories, right, as being ways for neural pathways to build connections and to create meanings yeah. and neural links, right? We, we understand that like our brain benefits from some type of categorical filing system so we can access certain things. What we also understand is that sometimes the things that are taken for granted um, as natural um the things that we take granted as like things that are staple and that we have to do are not right we know that categories don't exist we know that we are dynamic people that we're constantly in flux evolution and in motion we know that the world is ever changing and so sometimes our filing systems don't work the way we think they work so sometimes we don't there's some chaos and sometimes leaning into chaos is a good thing I'm all about it. You know who also is all about it? Zaheer. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I'm just, re- we've been, I 
been thinking a lot about Zaheer recently and how he's like such a villain and I'm sitting here going like Zaheer had a lot going right and I'm just like <laughs> um had a lot going right yeah had a lot going right <laughs> like yeah you know there's so many and like I mean it's very low-key and I know this is going to sound controversial and y'all can drag me it's fine I I'm a big girl I can take it um Asula low-key we give her a bad rap what if what if Azula is a closeted person? Mm. How do we then read her rage? How do we then read the relationships that she mm. had, especially her relationship with Ty, right? Like there, there are things, right, that we talk about when we talk about villainy that we actually need to really pay attention to because who's the real villain in it? Are, are they That's- villains based off of their own you know, inherent evil nature, which is very like fall related, you know, people are human or are the constructs so oppressive that the only expression to deal with the pressures of navigating the world include rage and rebellion. Here, here. Well, and it's fascinating to think of Azula that way in more than one regard because of thinking about perhaps it's just orientation and that's the only thing that has to be bottled up but the fact that she is younger and has is essentially acting as the heir in a patriarchal society like this past several fire lords have all been male in fact all the ones we know of except for after Zuko are male right um and so what that like thinking about the living into what it means to be the male heir once Zuko is gone and that's part of the reason she probably resents Zuko right is watching him getting to to be his self and to be authentic and to expand into who he becomes of course Azula's resentful of that of course she's going to respond right as an older sister who has two younger brothers hi Fred and Akan because I know you will listen and I love you very very much (laughs) The way in which as an older woman and having two younger, you know, someone who's been coded as woman, right? I feel for Azula so hard (laughs) because there's a certain level of inherent roughness that you are now taught. And then like, even as a black woman, right? Like, when I get read as a black woman, there's a certain amount of um, softness that I am not afforded anymore, right? I have to be able to advocate for myself. I have to be the one who can write the letters and like to, to like really like, you know, tell it how it is. And I also have to be political and I also have to be tight, right? I can't ever be soft. I can't cry on the job. I can't do any of that stuff. That is enough to make anyone yeah below your top right yeah and when you're thinking about just the ways in which the society of the fire that you're in nation itself being a deeply queer antagonistic space yeah. right like it is very built on rigidity and traditions and norms and you know exerting a certain amount of level of power if I find myself liking a really cute girl and I'm caring about them way more than I should, I'd probably be freaking out and tearing stuff up too. 
Yeah. Well, and it's and and to put that into a, like let's look at the other side too. Of course, it's this impossible standard on the one end, and then when you do flip out, there's this whole rhetoric around black anger, especially black women who are angry, right? right. And thinking about like it's you lose one way and you lose the other. There's no it's a lose lose situation rather than it, like the the zero sum game only is effective for one type of person and that is a white male. <laughs> and so right. right and and I and I wonder like how that and how that gets coded as villainy, right? Exactly. And so there's a lot of folks now who are like I'm entering into my villain era. I'm entering into my villain era and it's about being healthy and holistic building boundaries yeah getting effectively said nothing about that is yes is insidious and evil and thinking about it also from you know the the rhetoric of real life for a second and then we'll go back to comparing that to avatar but thinking about how when you think about people who go into mass shootings and Mm -hmm. how they are described by the media if they are black versus if they are Asian versus if they are Muslim versus if they are white, right? You know, thug, we get uh, uh, extra slurs, slurs, they're the worst. And then when it's a white person, it's like, we really need to consider the mental health of the country and focus on, right? And like- He is such a good boy. Yeah. He's 35. What do you mean? He just made a mistake, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And killed 30 people, right? And so- Someone didn't say hello to him that morning. And that's why, that's why he, he had a bad day. And it's like, or, or not. Like, you know, um, Jamila Jones, they are a, um, they are Sunny Day Jones on Twitter. I'm sure they don't mind me shouting them out. Um, But they had a really poignant tweet um, shortly after one of the mass shootings saying that white women do not have to worry about the reflections of their parenting when a white male shooter gets caught, right? Like white privilege is learning that the whole, your idea of parenting, family making, um, and societal, like communal growth is not being reflected back to you right? That like rugged individualism is such a thing that like black people and other people of color are not afforded. And I think about that a lot when it comes to like, even me making categories or claiming certain terms or certain terminologies, right? Like, you know, that me saying like, I don't identify with being a woman does not reflect back on the community of black women that have nurtured and loved me into being. It's just saying that like, you know, there are certain there were certain kind of codes around white femininity in particular yes. that never fit, I spent, felt, felt ideal. Yeah. And when we evoke the word woman, we cannot divorce white supremacy in that definition. Yeah. Right. And also there's some stuff around just black woman culture that just doesn't feel true to how I show up and move through the world, but yeah. it doesn't make black womanhood bad or good. Yeah. So uh, go, uh, reframing this idea of who we refer to as the villain, mm-hmm. right, I think is very central to the way, because Avatar and Korra is a narrative that we are being given. We have been given this narrative and we are told that Zaheer is the villain. We are told that Kuvira 
that Amon, that all of that Unalak, these are the, these are the villains, and Korra is doing like doing you know, not everything right, but is okay. the protagonist, right? And I think what makes Korra so compelling as a show is that all of these so-called villains are making really important points. They're I'm like, I'm still convinced Kuvira had a point. <laughs> <laughs> I think they all did. They all did. Like, uh, Zaheer is like spouting some wisdom over here. Like, we will we will never be truly free as long as we have these oppressive governments. I'm sitting here going like, uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do we? How do we fix that? Okay. <laughs> like, and so like I'm sitting. Got any here, notes? <laughs> you know. In in Amman, right? Thinking about this bender non bender equality. Like, yeah, we need to have a conversation here. This is something that needs to be addressed. All of them have something that needs to be addressed. Unalak addressing the the balance of the world and thinking about bringing the spirits back and really nurturing that. Like, again, all of them are saying something that is really important, but they're being coded and using language as if they are the villain. And now they're not doing everything right, right? They are extremists, right? But I, I think we have to really be careful about the language of villainy right? And really question who is calling them the villain Mm -hmm. and for like, for what reason and how do we measure and quantify and collect data around what that really means? I think, you know, when we talk about villainy um, and using the device of villainy, I don't know how many people, at least maybe it's just because I've always had an affinity towards villains. Um, (laughs) Maybe that's it. I mean, my favorite baseball team is the Yankees. So I should just tell you about just kind of how the literally Yankees, Cowboys, Lakers, my favorite sports. Oh, y'all, you're the worst. (laughs) I really am. (laughs) (laughs) And was raised to love these, these people too. Like, so, um, but I think part of it, right. Is when we, when we think about the master narrative, and I use that word intentionally, mm-hmm. villains are often, while they may be kind of codified as wrong or boo hiss, they do point us to think about the complicity we have as a society in navigating some of the inequities that these villains are pointing out, right? Yes. So like, even when I think about um, Cora's relationship with Turlock, right? Who's like, you know, there's the privilege of being the avatar, there's a certain privilege, get to work. Like you, you want the state to like revere you. You want the celebrity. Well, that comes with something. Yeah. Are you willing to pay the cost that comes with visibility, right? Mm-hmm. The answer is no, I don't want to do that. But you know, when Cora kind of emerges on the scene, Loki, she's with it, right? Like there's, there's a certain part of us that if we are honest with ourselves, the villains not only point to particular points, but it also points out to the complicitness we have as a society in navigating these systems of inequities that create the villains in the first place. Yeah. So I think as someone who is really interested in stories, really interested in working with folks who have been demonized and villainized as a, as a, as a people, right? Um, I am constantly aware that just because uh author may be naming them as the villain doesn't mean that they actually think they're wrong <laughs> like, well, um, I, I think that i think villainy is a good teacher in that 
he 100% agree. And I think that's, you know, the people oftentimes when you bring up villains, you know, people uh, attribute these things to being like the individual is the problem rather than the system that created, Mm -hmm. right? And thinking about Azula, like Azula, there's no way for Azula to be redeemed here. There's a lot of people who would be like, no, not everybody deserves a redemption arc, right? Um, that's that is a line that a lot of people have and it's a lot of times I think is uh, coming from this rugged individualism that we are so uh, steeped in as a culture where you know our training literally is all about social (laughs) uh, lens right and from a social work lens and focusing from how does the system play a role and a lot of people just like what system (laughs) But I think is if you acknowledge a system, then you have to figure out which her role in your space is in it. Yeah. And that's uncomfortable, right? It like is. when we think about Azula and it's very easy to make Azula's cruelty a personal problem. Yeah. How yeah. dare you not deal with the pressures of patriarchy? How dare you not deal with the pressures yeah. of a cruel childhood? How dare you I did. Why can't you? Right. As if you are actually doing that work, right? There's a false sense of security and coping. I actually was having a conversation with a really close friend of mine before our call. And we were talking about how we have often conditioned ourselves to have high tolerances of pain. And that like my favorite, my, my mom's favorite phrase is when I'm like changing, doing transitions, because, you know, again, earth sign love to be stable is, you know, you can do anything for a year. So even when my like somatic system is telling me like, this might be too much of a change or this might be too big of a move or this might not be aligned to how I move or need to move in the world, the you can do anything for a year kind of kicks in and has me supersede my fear response, which could be an instructor, right? And the moment rather than this inhibitor. And so when I think, well, why couldn't someone tolerate something? I did it for a year. Anyone can do a year. I survived, you know, fill in the blank grad school program. Why is everybody else having a moment in fill in the blank grad school program? I'm not going to play our alma mater like that, but you know, like, you know, (laughs) but then I have to remind myself, you had a lot of violence that was attached to those, those years. And you're just now connecting to that pain. Yep. That, that's not, so if someone walks out of a classroom when you were able to sit there and not, and, and not, you know, walk out, yep. that doesn't make them a villain. Nope. We're both victims. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the system is the villain, right? Just because so, I have intense dissociative ability does not mean everybody does. <laughs> right, and that's okay. And I think you know sometimes we are asking people to to cope, to reframe, to bypass, to medicate. Yeah, for things that are just inherently wrong. Here, here. I I am no longer profiting in the language of resiliency for the sake of revolution I'm not doing it anymore and I think like when we think about villains and we think about the villain arts and we think about these villains who had points right yep they are touching on the nerve that I should not have to be resilient when revolution is possible 
mic drop. There it is. That's the, that's, that's the line. I should not have to be resilient when revolution is possible. Yeah. There it is. That's it. That's the line. <laughs> yep. uh, I, I, I'm good on that. Happy pride. Yeah. Yeah, happy pride, y'all. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm I oh oh okay. Let's it's time. We're gonna move to gratitude. That's that that's it. We did it. Okay, so I we're transition. Dun, 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 dun. We did it. Uh, we yeah. solved the world's problems. Um, and just kind of reinviting this. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm so fired up. I have to like. Um, yeah. Who in light of our conversation today? Yeah. Who is a character that you're grateful for? Can I have two? Yeah, why not? More gratitude, the better. Obviously, obviously Toph forever and ever, I'm going to be grateful for um, because Toph's, um, Toph's uh, everythingness is so clear to me. (laughs) And I love my earth sign queen who reminds me of all of my Taurus besties in my life. Um, and I'm grateful because she points back to our last thing, right? Like that this idea of the uses of rage and how like Audrey Lord talks about it is how Toph embodies life. And I appreciate mm. it. Um, and mm. then the second person I want to shout out is I'm gonna just say I'm gonna shout out Sokka because you know I think that Sokka that's my them (laughs) whether or not they consider themselves gender expansive or he considers himself cishet you know cishet there's something beautiful about the journey that teaches us that just because we we get these expectations doesn't mean that we have to keep them and we can get to choose possibility off the grid yeah yeah i have a hard time not being grateful for cora ever um but especially in light of her journey is a more uh visible version of what you're kind of expressing with Sokka, right she Mm -hmm. was in this box of oh i'm a girl i have to like boy and Mm -hmm. then there's mako who is the casualty and right and then she like slowly starts to like wait a second and then it took takes three seasons for Mm -hmm. her to kind of lean into asami right and that turns out to be a several year process (laughs) um and so i just appreciate her giving us uh one possible way to see how that transformation happens a queen an icon a legend indeed yeah. in my opinion the best avatar but you know at least of all the ones we know of <laughs> i was gonna say second to koshi to be honest because koshi i think is just the best avatar period yeah. Espe- okay. especially once you you know get to the yeah. get to i'm the excited point. yeah okay well we did it we had uh a, what an, talk about expansive we had an expansive conversation today i have been expanded upon i feel better and i feel like i've learned and it's all thanks to Avatar. Avatar facilitated this. So you I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful I'm for Avatar. grateful for Avatar and our friendship in light of it. Because right. without Avatar, we wouldn't know each other. It's just true. This is true. Uh, all right. Well, you heard it here, folks. This has been another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I am deeply, deeply grateful to you and Dira for joining us. And until next time, everybody, 
Bye. Well and do good.